0: As we come to our text today, we come to the final instructions. Final instructions as we find them here in Hebrews chapter 13. There they are. Hebrews chapter 13 is where we will find ourselves today. So if you will make your way uh, there to Hebrews chapter 13. As we... Finish out this book. and It is so amazing. Uh, and the author of Hebrews has written this. He has taken us from the old covenant to the new covenant. He's taken us from the law to grace. He's taken us from being those that only knew that we were sinners because all we knew was breaking the law. To now we know that in grace that when we do break the law we have an advocate. Someone who says I took that on me. No longer do you have to bear that burden on you. I've got that on me. I have that on me. So we can go back to Him. And this is the reason why Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than any work we can do. Jesus is greater than any uh, law we can keep. Jesus is greater. We cry out to Jesus. And as we look at this final instructions from the author of Hebrews, as we look at this, we see... Uh, what I've, I've heard people say, uh, that the Bible stands for, an, it's an acronym for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. I've heard that as an acronym for the Bible. So these are some basic instructions that we all need to grab hold of in our lives. And As the author of Hebrews walks us and concludes us in this text today, he tells us several different things that we should be. We should be these things because we are in Christ. We are Christians. That's if you have called upon Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a Christian. It's not about what you're going to be. It's about whose you are. Either you are Christ's or you are Satan's. You are of your father's work. Jesus tells those that are not His. So we are either His or we are Satan's. Our Father is either God or our Father is Satan. It's one of the two. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. So as children of God, if we're all in that stature, that status of life, that position, co-heirs with Christ, there are some things that we should be. There's things that we should be. So let's let's look there. And I'm going to walk through this. This is not like normally there's a chunk here and there. We're going verse by verse, beginning there in verse one. I read this earlier. Let brotherly love continue. So the first thing that we should be is just loving. Not complicated, folks. We should be a loving people. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor is this. All the laws and prophets hang upon these two commands. All the laws and prophets hang upon loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Our closest neighbors, obviously, are those within the home, but then it should be our church family. And we love them. We show brotherly love. This is especially to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. People will, Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples by the love you show to the brethren. You know, when people in the church have need, when people in the church need love, they, they shouldn't have to go outside of their church family. They should to find it right here. Let brotherly love continue. So if it's, if it's continuing, that means it's been there. So we don't need to hinder what's already going on. We need to let brotherly love continue. Secondly, in verse 2, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. We need to be hospitable. We need to be hospitable people. And we need to be hospitable, especially to those who are strangers, people you've never met. You have no idea if God has providentially put them there in your way, in your path, so that you may be able to share the gospel with them, to serve them to help them to be hospitable this 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 is builds on one another be loving be hospitable and hospitality was very important very important in the days of Israel and in the New Testament as we see here because hospitality was valued because of hosting and caring for travelers since traveling could be dangerous it was so important it's not like today where you got holiday holiday express down the road, or you got the Hampton or the Marriott or whatever it may be, the travel ride, whatever it is that you got in your town, you know, they didn't have those type of things. Every so often you might find a city that's got a lodge in it or an inn, you know, that's where uh, Joseph and Mary would try to get into, but it was full, so obviously it was small, it wasn't a two-story or three-story with an elevator, they didn't have that technology then, but, you know, they didn't have that, so a lot of people, families, had to be hospitable, And you didn't know if you were entertaining angels angels are real I fully believe that we're not going to bog down into that part portion but I want us to understand for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ and these final instructions as the author is writing we should be hospitable to strangers you also don't know where a stranger may go from there who their life may interact with so let them speak positively of interacting with someone who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ not next to you. think about the i think about the uh the Samaritan. You know, uh, when we think about the Samaritan who came to the aid of the of the Jewish man who was beaten and for dead on the side of the road and robbed. You know, the Levites passed by and the others passed by, but then here comes the Samaritan and, and he helps him out. You know, the Lord used that as a story, as an account, so that you can see that we need to be hospitable people. We need to be people who will help folks out when they're in need. We need to be considerate. Look there in verse 3. In verse 3, we need to be considerate. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now, believers were imprisoned at this time, and we have reference to that in Acts chapter 28, verses 14 and 15. Believers were being imprisoned this, this isn't just any prisoners although we should be considerate toward all who have been incarcerated but this is specifically speaking to those believers because he uses the language there uh, since you yourselves are in the body also and a lot of people are being in prison for their faith not because they had done something really wrong or you know like for us today of you know, steal something, to, to, to rob someone, things of that nature. It wasn't like that. This was believers who were being put in jail. Be considerate to those prisoners. And rather than avoiding those who are or have been incarcerated, the church is to care for the persecuted.
1: Remembering,
0: as it starts off there, remember the prisoners, remembering implies an active response to needs. You know, if if someone has a need, we should be a church body that that listens to the need, we evaluate the need, and then we help as we can. You know, sometimes there's needs that are just a little bit bigger than what we can meet. But as much as we can, we should try to help meet needs. So we need to be aware of that. We need to be considerate. Look there in verse 4. We need to be honorable. We need to be honorable. It says marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So we need to be people that are honorable in marriage and to marriage. Not everyone gets married. Not everyone at a certain season in their life are married. But maybe they have been. Maybe at some point in the future they will be. We need to honor marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman. That's marriage. We honor that. Anything outside of a biblical context of marriage, as was defined in the first book of the Bible, of Genesis, is defiling marriage. Now, I'm not going to stay here a long time, but I could, I could. Well, I could stay here all day and preach on the atrocities, the sinfulness of our nation today, and how they have defiled, and how they have tried to destroy godly, biblical marriage. But we need to be we need to be honorable in marriage and to marriage. And it says in that passage of scripture, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And judging of sexual immorality, that equals anyone who engages sexual conduct outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's any marriage, any sexual interaction outside of the confines of of a man and a woman in a biblical marriage. That's sin, period. Period. And so we need to be honorable as Christians. We need to honor marriage in it and to it. For believers, this judgment would be would bring discipline and judgment in this life. There will be discipline and judgment in this life for defiling the marriage bed. There will be those things that occur in in this life, against those who dishonor marriage. We need to be content. Look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13. We need to be content. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we need to be content. We need to be content with Christ and uh, with Christ in our actions. The English Standard Version says this, that we need to keep your life free from the love of money. There's nothing that's going to, we become very discontent when we look on social media a lot of times, don't we? We see things online, we see things on TV, and we become discontent with what we have. And listen, I'm guilty of that. I've I've experienced that in my whole life. But we need to be cautious about that. We need to be grateful for what we have. And the greatest thing that we have, you know what the greatest thing that we have is? Jesus. Jesus is the greatest person, not only thing, I guess I should say person. I might have thrown you off with my language there. But the greatest person that we have in our life is Jesus. The greatest thing we have is salvation through Jesus Christ. Maybe that's better. Maybe you would have given me a, an answer if I would have said it right. So the greatest person we have is Jesus Christ thing. We have is salvation. Because it cannot be taken from us. Any earthly thing can be taken from us. I've been broken into before. We had shoes stolen. <laughs> we had uh iPad minis stolen. We had jewelry stolen from our house. That's been since we lived here. Uh, you know, we've had those things taken from us, those are earthly possessions. No big deal. You know, don't get it wrong. You you feel violated. You want justice to occur, but, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, I wish those things wouldn't be taken. I work to, to I work and serve and, and are paid, and, and the things that I work and serve for, go to purchase those things. And you don't want to see your things be taken in that way, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's an earthly possession. You know what they can't take from me? My salvation. They can't take my Jesus from me. They can't take the indwelling of the Holy Spirit from me. They can't take those things from me. And even if they took my life, they can't take my eternal life. So there's things that we need to put our joy, we need to be content in Jesus. Christ is better than any earthly treasure and our contentment should be in Him. Our contentment should be in Him, so we should be content. We should be thoughtful. Look there in verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the Word of God to you, whose faith followed, considering the outcome of Of their conduct. So we need to be thoughtful to our leaders. Whoever our leaders may be, we need to be thoughtful toward them. Those that rule over you. Now, here he's obviously speaking of the pastor of the church. We need to be thoughtful of that individual. It's kind of difficult as your pastor to preach this text, you know. I mean, it sounds very, you know, odd to be saying these things, but that's what the Word of God says. So I'm going to preach it, okay? So be thoughtful to your leaders who rule over you. And we're not ruling over you to be a dictator. We rule over you to teach you the word of God. We, I want to teach you doctrinal teaching. Since I've been here, we've preached through the whole book of Hebrews. There's not very many books that have more doctrinal value than Hebrews. It tells you all about the old covenant. It tells you all about the new covenant. I pray that God has grown you in your faith and in your doctrine through the teaching of Hebrews. You know, we went through a couple of, uh, about a year ago, we went through uh, big words of faith. Words of faith. We talk about justification, sanctification, and glorification. And you might have been like, whoa, that's a lot of sanctifications. But, but uh, it's, it's so that you may grow in your doctrine. Because if we don't know what we believe, then we don't know. We, 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 I mean, you, you could, man, you're going to be swimming from one denomination to the next if you don't know what the doctrine is. You need to know what the doctrine of the church is. Specifically, the Bible. But you're in a Southern Baptist church, so you need to know how we hold to the Word of God. We need to know doctrine. We need to know doctrine. Uh, So we need to teach it. You need to be thought to your leaders who are worthy to be emulated. I think back to our pastors. I think my Brother Howard who preceded me here at New Prospect. And we need to honor him. You know, his, his, worthy, his, his, uh, worthy, his conduct is worthy to be emulated. I think about, uh, you know, you had Fred Harthouse and you had Dwayne Mormon and you had uh, Brother Don Graham, and you've had uh, Delmas Anthony. You've had some great pastors come through this church that loved you and taught you the Word of God and had conduct worthy to be emulated. You speak at Delmas Anthony anywhere in Walker County, and you're going to hear great things. I think I'm Brother Howard. I hear people talk about Brother Howard. I even go, and let me tell you this, how, how amazing I know Brother Howard's uh, extension of his conduct is. We took a, a record player down to the Salvation Army the other day, okay? Old classic record player, had an 8-track at the top of it. When we lifted up the lid, man, we pulled out dancing records in that record player. We pulled out a, a record of, the, of Alabama. Pulled out a record of, I think George Jones was in there. Pulling out a record with Howard Thompson. Boy, he sits in good company, don't he? <laughs> but you think about you think about these that have led this church, this body, and, and their conduct is worthy to be emulated. We need to be thoughtful of those. We need to be thoughtful of our leaders who do those things. We need to be confident, which is where our anchor is, right here in verse eight. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be confident, not in ourselves, but in Christ. We need to be a confident people. And we need to be confident in Christ, who is unchanging. He is the same yesterday in creation. He is the same today in salvation. He is the same forever reigning in heaven. We need to be confident in Jesus. Not confident in my work, not confident in me, not confident in my accomplishments, but confident in Christ. We need to be confident in Him, and when we're confident in Him, we need to be studious. Maybe studious. Look at verse nine. Do not be carried away by various strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with food, which have which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So. We need to be studious. That means that we need to be people who study the Word. We need to be people who study the Word. We need to know. I kind of went a little deeper into doctrine on the be thoughtful part, so I won't spend as much time here. But we need to be studious in the Word through doctrine and grace because we always need to be uh, uh, watchful of hearsay in the church. That's the reason why I preach doctrine. That's the reason why I preach through many times I preach through books of the Bible or large portions of the Bible so that there's not this out-of-context snippet where I'm just pulling out this little bitty bit and telling you what you should believe on one passage of Scripture in the Bible that may be obscure. Like talking with the students this morning. You know, all those name it and uh, and claim it blame it and grab it preachers, they want to tell you, and if you tell them out the movies, you go in the ocean. If you want a new car, you know, Oprah, everybody gets one. You know, you know what doctrine says. Know the Word of God. And, and hopefully you studied that in your Sunday school lesson, talking about, you know, when mountains get thrown into the ocean, uh, you ask that in Jesus' name, it will be done for you. And it's not talking, I mean, it's, it's talking about desiring the things that Jesus wants. And when you pray, you ask for the things that Jesus wants. That's your will. And when your will matches the will of the Father, then yeah, it's going to happen. It may not be that moment. It may not be that day, that month, that week. But the Lord will answer that prayer. We just got to be uh, (coughs) studying and know the Word of God. Secondly, about being studious is this. More specifically, he mentions this about food. For it is good that the heart be established by grace not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Special foods are of no benefit, okay? I'm not telling you not to have a good diet. I mean, to have a good diet. But he's talking about, like, doctrine based on food. That's crazy. It's nonsense. And so, like, more specifically, he's talking about the food. The Christian altar is better than the food of the tabernacle. The Christian altar is better. So we need to know the Word and to know what's best, and to know the Word and to know what's best, That's grace. That's grace. We need to be prepared. Look at verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 14. It says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought to the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Now listen to that language, outside the camp. That's, That's outside is referenced several times. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people whose own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Seek the city that is to come. So, the sacrifice of the Old Testament was outside the camp. Christ was sacrificed outside the city. And we too will suffer reproach outside the acceptable cultural centers of our world. So be prepared to cope and carry the burden of the reproach of Christ. Unlike most Old Testament offerings, uh, the Day of Atonement sin offering could be taken by the priest since it was burned outside the camp. However, all Christians partake of the Christian altar. And going out to Christ is representative of leaving the world behind and its approval for embracing the reproach of Christ. Between the time that we see this city as it concludes in that verse where it says... um, Uh, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. We do have a city that that will come, a new Jerusalem, and a new new earth, and a new Jerusalem. A new city is going to come. So between that time, between now and then, we're going to have to suffer the reproach of Christ in this life until either God calls us on to heaven by taking our last breath, or by Christ returning for us. One of the ways that's how we're, we're going to have to suffer the reproach of Christ along this walk of life. We've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared for that reproach that comes. We need to be worshipful. Look there in verses 15 and 16. Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We need to be worshipped. We need to be people who worship the Lord, the Spirit, and the truth. And to worship is to praise and to serve. We can go back and look through various passages scriptures, specifically in Psalm. This language is used. Psalm 50, verse 14, and verse 23. Psalm 107, 22, and Psalm 116, 17, all talk about how uh, we should continually offer the sacrifice of praise, that phrase, sacrifice of praise. And these two, worship, uh, praise, and service, these two are almost inseparable in the Christian life. To praise God will in turn bring service, and in service, we will praise. In service, we will praise. When we realize that worship through praise and service bring joy to God, we will be all the more motivated to continue in them. That joy, you know, some people, they've lost the joy in Christ. Why is that? Because they're not serving nobody. They're not serving nobody. They're coming because it's just what they've always done. They're coming because they feel like they've got to check a box. Listen, when you start serving somebody, when you start serving the Lord, your joy will return to you. But when you just see church, when you just see things as, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to go, I've got to be at Sunday school, you know. You know, I should come for Wednesday nights. You know, it's just a checkbox. You're you're going to lose your joy in the Lord. But if you'll serve somebody, if you'll serve somebody, quit looking for somebody to do something for you, and you start doing something for somebody else, you will find joy in the Lord. You'll find it. We need to be worshipful. We need to be beneficial. Look there, verse seventeen. We need to be beneficial. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy, and here it is, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So you need to be beneficial to to your leadership, to your pastor, to your ministry leaders, whether it be men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry. Be beneficial. Don't be a hindrance. You know, many times we find folks that that they like to complain about everything and participate in nothing. Oh, man, I don't want to do that. But I'm going to sit at the house and do nothing. But I don't want to do that. I don't know why they can't get more people to do this. Where are you? Where are you? Be beneficial to your leadership. If you have something to complain about, it a change. Be a part of it. Be a change agent. Don't be a... Don't be a loud mouth. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a busybody. Get your body busy and do something for the Lord. You know? I mean, you need to be, we need to be, all of us need to be beneficial to our leadership. When it says obey those who rule over you, it's not because again can, because somebody's trying to be a dictator. It's because we're trying to encourage you in service. So you may have that joy in the Lord. It's not so that you can get the guilt off your back. It's so that you may get the joy in your heart. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. People, sometimes people may need assistance. Counseling. Listen, if you're counseled to do something, you know, I'm not telling you that you should get ungodly counsel, but you need to seek out godly counsel. There's plenty of people that love the Lord and love Jesus who would love to give you some help and and speak into your life if you have a need. Be be helpful. The author is challenging the people of God to not be burdensome on their leaders but beneficial. Find where to praise and serve. Then do so without grumbling and complaining. You know, as your pastor, I'm going to have to give an account of how I've preached, of how I've taught, and how I've mocked. And your character and integrity is a partial testimony to my life. Your testimony is, a, is a, I mean, it's your integrity is a partial te- testimony of my life. Be beneficial. Be beneficial to your leadership, to your church. Be beneficial. One way you can be beneficial is to be prayerful. Look at verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 and 19. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Pray for us. And he says, I especially urge you to do this. Pray for us. Be prayerful, church. Be prayerful. Be prayerful for those who are mission-minded. Those who go out in the name of Christ need prayers. We need to be lifting up those who have an evangelistic spirit and a missional mindset. We need to be lifting up those that are mission-minded. We need to be lifting up everybody. You know, when, when you're about doing anything around the house, lift up a prayer for your church family. Lift up a prayer for me. As, as as the pastor of the church, lift up a prayer for Donald as he is planning and organizing and getting these prepared for the choir and for for to lead y'all into our time of corporate worship. Be praying for him. Pray for Misty as she's organizing and planning for the children. And all of our committees, our youth committees, our children's committees, our all these different committees that are serving. Pray for them. When you're at home, many of you have been in this church for a long time. Think about where people sit across these aisles when you're at the house. Think about it in your mind and say, Lord, I pray for so-and-so. I pray that this bench, I look at here one, two, three, four, five, the fifth bench ain't got a single person on it. Say this week, Lord, I pray for the fifth bench to be filled up. Lord, I pray that the front pew, that everybody will, will be so full that somebody's got to sit on the front pew. Somebody's got to sit in this flash zone. You know what I mean? Somebody's got to be down here. I pray for somebody to fill up this road right back here. I mean, just pray. Pray. That is is what God wants to hear from His people. Let me tell you what happens when you pray. Things change. People get saved. Even people that you're like, how in the world can they get saved? I got this email from the International Mission Board. And this is what it said. And I'm going to abbreviate some. This it's a story. It's an account of two missionaries who are in Colombia, okay? And they the people that they're trying to minister to uh, have no written Bible in their language. They have very little written things in their language at all. They're called the Embera people. If you look at my truck out there, there's a sticker on the back of it. It says "Pray for the Embera people." At Fuge camps this summer, that was something they focused on. One part of their mission. Well, there's the, a couple named Travis and Beth. And they serve as missionaries in Colombia. And having already learned Spanish, they felt called to work among the Embera people, an indigenous people whose language is undocumented and unknown to outsiders. Travis and Beth have a great desire to bring the gospel to the Embera people. The language barrier has been one of their greatest challenges, obviously. For years, Travis has worked to learn the language. His only help being an Embera man who knows some <laughs> Spanish. So Travis has worked relentlessly to record conversations with the Imberra people so that he could turn their words into lesson plans for future language learning. And after several years of practicing among the American people, Travis was able to share some of the stories and teachings from the Bible. And as a result, a woman named Sarah expressed her belief in Jesus and desire to be baptized. That's awesome, folks. That's awesome, folks. And we need to be praying for our missionaries. We need to be Mission minded, pray for those who are going out in the name of Jesus. But you know who else is going out in the name of Jesus? Hopefully, every one of us. I know we've got to go buy groceries. I know we got to go get some food sometime. You might want to eat out. You've got a little waiter or waitress. Don't just bless them with a tip. Bless them with a prayer. Pray for. Them. Pray for. Them them about Jesus if they're willing to sit there and listen long enough. Don't leave a bad tip because then you're leaving a, I mean, you know, bless them. You know what I mean? Take care of your folks, okay? But you know, we need to be prayerful people looking for opportunities for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be sanctified. We're sanctified by God who raised his Son. We're sanctified in Christ for the work of Christ. And we're sanctified with the purpose is to be set apart and equipped with all we need to do God's will. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you. <coughs> what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we need to be sanctified in Christ for the work of Christ. That's who we need to be sanctified in. And, and when we're sanctified and set apart in Christ, we will then be doing the work of Christ. It will please Him. It will uh, be well-pleasing in His sight. And He is the great shepherd of the sheep, it tells us there. It says, uh, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10. I'll quote that in a little bit. But uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, who is this Jesus Christ that he raised from the dead? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. We read about him in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For his rod and his staff comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. That's who Jesus is. No longer is it the law, it's the Lord. No longer is it the law, it's the great shepherd. He's the one who goes out and gets us when we walk away. He's the one who uh, disciplines us with that rod and that staff to bring us back. He's the one who defends us with the rod and the staff to make sure that no wolves get us. That's who He is. He's the great shepherd. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. As he talks about, he's going to make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he has made us as his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. We need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart and different. We need to be persistent. Look at verse 22. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. And you may argue with that, considering the fact that I preached for 16 weeks through Hebrews. (laughs) That's not few words. (laughs) And he's encouraged them. He's trying to tell them, look, bear. Look at that, that middle portion of that scripture says, bear with the word of exhortation. Bear with it. You need to be persistent. When things are hard, stick with it bear with this. Bear with the word. When doctrine is hard, when, when, when standards are high, bear with it. Don't compromise on the doctrine. Don't compromise on the standards. We need to be persistent. We need to bear with the word of exhortation. And that exhortation is this entire book. I've written to you in a few words. He's saying, stick with it. Go back to it. Understand the value of the old covenant, but be grateful and thankful for the new covenant. Be grateful and thankful for the new covenant. Be persistent. And finally, be welcoming. Look at verses 23 through 25. And I appeal to you, brethren. uh, Excuse me, I'm looking at 22. 23, excuse me. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. We need to be welcoming. He's telling, look, the author's saying, look, when Timothy gets set free, my plan is to be with him and come see you. And when I come to see you, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Be welcoming. Greet them all. Tell them thank you. Give them a hug. You know, back then, you know, it's kind of like I think about when I go to Brazil. They give you a hug. They kiss you on either side of the cheek, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I think about. Think about being welcomed in that way. And he said, be welcoming. And other leaders will come and encourage and challenge you. Welcome them with blessing and honor. Welcome them with blessing and honor. Greet those who rule over you. Those from Italy greet you and grace be to you all. So in conclusion, this is what I want you to know. This is who we need to be. We need to be people who are loving, hospitable, considerate, honorable, content, thoughtful, confident, studious, prepared, worshipful. We need to be beneficial. We need to be prayerful, sanctified, persistent, and welcoming. This is who we need to be. This is what needs to be named of those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is who we need to be. I pray today that that is what is named of you. I pray that as we have walked through this, you see the value, and being a child of God, and in that being a child of God, be those things.